All right, I'm officially now, it says I'm recording, I think. Yeah, four seconds in. Hi, this is Michael J. Flores, and I'm um, on Skype with Brian David Marshall. Um, you don't know for sure that you're on Skype with me. I don't? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're guessing that this is working. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a good guess. <laughs> really? Our, our, our track record with technology is not exceptional. Um, it is exceptional. It's just not exceptionally good. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, hey, this is a cast. <laughs> Brian, start asking questions and stuff. You're you're better at that than me. Oh, okay, you don't you don't want to take the lead. What did you uh, What did you think of? We haven't talked in a while. You've been. I was in Hawaii, and then you were. In then I yeah, I went I went to Hawaii last week. I just got back today. And so, obviously, um, we wait until I'm back in New York, and then we decided to do a recording over Skype. But that makes so much sense. Yeah. So, I guess the first question has to be, uh, what about Jeremy Lin? Uh, so, like, this is actually, if I believed in anything anymore, like, I no longer believe in anything. That's the... That's one of the things that's come out of my my, my recent couple of years. I, I would I would feel like some sort of negative providence. You know, a few weeks ago I was like, look, the Cavs have a better record than the Knicks with a fraction of the um, with a fraction of the uh, the salary. We have like a legitimate, completely unrecognized star in Verajao, best up and coming point guard in in uh in um. Kyrie Irving and the stupid Knicks have these terrible. I mean, I mean, you know that I'm. I've always been a huge fan of Landry Fields. I think he's wholly underrated. I've I've loved him. I thought any other year than last year. You know, obviously you have a uh, some sort of physical monkey man like Blake Griffin, but um, in almost any other year, the guy would have been, in my opinion, uh, would have been awesome potential rookie of the year candidate. I think Tyson Chandler's playing at maybe even a better than. Uh, Dwight Howard level this year. I like those guys on your team a lot, but you know the the big names on on the New York Knicks are obviously Carmelo Anthony and and uh, Amari Stoudemire, who I consider to be the two worst contracts in the league. So, <laughs> and all on the same team. So I'm making fun of Brian, and then that night, <laughs> the Knicks get Jeremy Lin, and Aaron Savarejao breaks his wrist. <laughs> Jeremy Lin, they just let him play. <laughs> I mean, like this is a Years ago, we used to make fun of, um, remember Mike Brown? You're like, you know, the only reason the Cavs won that game was because so-and-so got injured and he had to play Daniel Gibson. (laughs) I mean, but, like, the combination, I mean, it's, I'm not the kind of person who ever feels, um, is is Schoidenfraud the one where you're like, you hate it when your friends are successful. Is that the one, or? Or you think joy in their failure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 not that kind of person at all. You know, in in almost any regard. You know, people ask me like, oh, don't you think it's unjust for such and such to make so much money when blah blah blah? And I'm, no, I I don't feel that way about the world really. You know, I I would never feel bad about um, you know the Knicks getting uh getting a star like Jeremy Lin. Um, but you know, the same day that Verajao breaks his wrist is really kind of. <laughs> Uh, it, it's hard not to feel terrible. Um, the Knicks are a couple games out of the Atlantic Conference lead right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are you in seventh place right now? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, right now I'm gambling on the 
on an implosion by uh, the Boston Celtics, which you know it's not out of the out of the I, picture. Those guys lost like I mean, seven games in a row. I mean, look, they're they're terrible right now. Yeah, I mean the they, the Cavs have actually been playing. I mean, for an Eastern Conference team that's not the the Bulls or the Heat, they've been playing uh, reasonably well. Um, and you know, we again we don't even have our best player for the next six weeks, so. Uh, I think that there's hope. But what's really bad would be if the Cavs got ninth. You know, um, in the first two years of LeBron James um, being on the Cavs, they got they got ninth on breakers both years in a. I mean, on breakers, how bad is that? Like, not even like a legit ninth. Um, they were tied with the the New Jersey Nets. Virtual bottom seed. Yeah, virtual bottom seed twice. Uh, so you know that that would be it's much worse for them to to be obviously virtual bottom seed than. Um, for them to either make the playoffs or, you know, like tank and get a better draft position. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's basketball. I don't know. The, the, the listeners find that fascinating. I mean, I, obviously Jeremy Lin is – if he took – I mean, he's a lot like Kyrie. Like, you know, either of those guys, if if either of them took care of their turnovers, they would be like legitimate superstar point guards right now. He still, he still has a lot to learn. Like I I I think Kyrie and, and Lynn are basically the very very similar position, too many turnovers, but they're both young players, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing that was interesting is people keep talking about the uh, the Heat game the other day, like the like the Knicks were just blown out of the water, and the reality is like they were very much in the game for three quarters. If like Carmelo can or can sink a single like shot and like not even crazy shots he was just like it was his first game back from injury or second game back from injury from you know being out for like more than a week so he was still pretty rusty like if he sinks a single shot along the way like it's a very the game is very different like they can make six points up there like if baron davis never touches the I mean, the Knicks really just have this collection of horrible contract former all-stars it's like it, it well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I know. My team paid for that contract. I'm actually, I'm completely out of it. So, uh, they just, they picked up Smith. Uh, is, is the, is the trade deadline over? Uh, I don't think so. Cause you know, the all-star game was yesterday. So, I mean, I'm, I'm so, uh, no, cause they're still talking about the White Howard trade. Because uh, then this is how disjointed I am. So, the Cavs won two different games by one point last week. And then, you know, I have League Pass, so I can watch any game. But the, where I was physically, the game started at 1 p.m. Yeah. So, like, I, I, like, obviously I'm, like, on the beach doing something, like, hanging out with my kids. So um, one day I decided I, I needed to, to buckle down and get some work done. So I'm like, oh, you know, that's actually the last uh, the last game before the All-Star break. Uh, I'll watch the game. And that was a the game they lost to some t- terrible team. <laughs> like they got toasted by New Orleans, and they had just taken out, I believe. Oh, Detroit stinks, but then they beat the Pacers the previous night. Uh, so I missed two games where they won super exciting games at one point, and then blow up by the Hornets. Yeah. Trevor Ariza got it's just, us. It's it's hard not to feel like a seedy bum in Hawaii watching sports because you're basically sitting in some dark sports bar in the middle of the afternoon while it's gorgeous out. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's just a bunch of people with scratch tickets. Sitting around you. Um, you know, and like, it's not, it's not the good outdoor bar with the pineapple drinks or anything or the umbrellas. It's, it's really just like, you're like in a terrible episode of John from Cincinnati. <laughs> you know, people just, 
have a miserable fortune. All right, speaking of miserable fortune, you've never been, I mean, you've, you've done a lot more traveling than I have, I think. Um, you've never been in a situation where, like, uh, you almost bought a, a timeshare, have you? I'm not saying have you bought a timeshare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking if you've ever done the timeshare pitch. Oh, uh, no, I haven't. So, um, so uh, I got true. Really hold my time into way too high regard, and at the same time, way too low regard. I mean, so I, I got tricked into a timeshare pitch. I, mean, I got out of it, right? So I didn't buy the timeshare or anything. But then it was like in the middle of the day when I got out, um, and we went to. Uh, you didn't eat at Giovanni's, did you? Everyone, you were in Honolulu. No, I don't think so. Um, so we were there, and they they had the Heat game on the Heat the Heat Knicks game. We only saw the first part. Um, you know, I, I did predict though the only thing that could hold back Jeremy Lin would be the return of uh, the the two, <laughs> the two All Star contracts. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't what I mean that wasn't what it was. Um, that that was it was it was I mean they they weren't shooting well, but that that's not what it was. I mean it was just them coming back from injury and being out of the Basketball is a lot simpler than than a lot of other people think it is, and to me, um, Amari and Melo don't do a good job taking care of the ball. is the main is the main objection I have to those guys. They turn the ball over a lot, don't get any rebounds, and and in the case of Melo, at least they shoot a lot without making it go into the hole. You know, like, Amari usually like he has a, he has a reasonably good chance of making it go in the hole. Uh, he's, been, he's been really bad this year at it. Like he's, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that his back is still fucked up. I mean, you got to like look at the turnover line and the rebounds line on those guys at the end of the game. And I mean, Amari's like seven feet tall. <laughs> Why can't he pull down a defensive rebound? On paper. <laughs> so, uh, so speaking of Hawaii, uh, you and I have not talked about Oklahoma at all. Um, so, do you think it was the greatest overall? Uh, no, I mean it, it's 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 up there, right? It's, it's up there. Like, it all comes down to where you, I mean, where you put PV, right? Like, this PV, this PV in, and I, I mean, I, I think he is. I don't know. In an elite is, class? Is he in the elite John, Kai, Gabe class? And I think he, I think you have to say he is at this point, right? Nine top eights? Well, I mean, it dep- it de- it's how you look at this, right? There are two different models of the universe that you can take here. One of them is there's a certain set of statistical blah, blah, blahs that if you pass these statistical blah, blah, blahs, you are in the elite class. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is you're in the elite class because somebody says you are. And that person's and that person's uh, uh, opinion has a certain amount of weight. If you think that that person is you, and you're saying that he's in an elite class, then almost by definition he's in an elite class. He's, you are the proto-historian. So, I mean, there's a, like... I mean, I'm trying to be, I think I'm trying to be somewhat reserved about it since he's coming up for Hall of Fame this year. And, you know, we had gotten scolded by Kelly Diggs, no longer our content editor at uh, MTG.com, for saying, like... 
certain Hall of Famer, Paulo Vitor D'Amadoro. So, like, you know, they were like, you, you don't want to just say someone's a lock or something. I used to I used to often use the term probable first class Hall of Famer. I've gotten really kind of like skittish about being too. I mean, I, I mean, I think John. So like, someone's like talking to John in Honolulu, and, and, you know, on a Sunday, and they were just like, "Oh, you know, no one's ever going to catch you. You're clearly just all alone, you know, in terms of top eights." And he's like, and he just looked at Paulo, and he was just like, "I mean, he'll probably catch me." Yeah, I mean, you know, like it, just a matter of fact. If John hadn't stopped playing for those five years, I mean. <laughs> He took a half decade off. <laughs> Literal five years he took off, like, between... And he was having an awfully good year in 2000 to 2001, right? Right, right, right. And he's got one PT, uh, one PT top eight between 2001 and 2007. Is that the is that the stretch? Sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, the reason is he wasn't playing. So, um... I mean, I mean, I mean to, be, to, 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 to take the other side of that, I mean, he also, I mean... And he's obviously still just as good as he always was, but like at the time, the rest of the field was not as good. I, I disagree. I think, in terms of relative measure, I think he's John would say that against an objective, you know, if you compare John 2012 to John two, you know, John 1998, John 1998 is a better Magic player. I think that would John, 19, would John 1998 have blocked. Um, I think that. Neither John 1998 nor John 2012 would have blocked. I'm actually reviewing a lot of stuff uh, for my upcoming book, and I write a fair amount about um, how John plays versus how other people play. Neither John would have made that play. I mean, John, his entire modus operandi is he takes a turn off of his opponent. He'll do, other people might not have attacked with all the spirits, right? I mean, John will attack all the spirits, leave enough guys that he can lethal attack Kibler the next turn, and... Kibler needs three metal-crafted galvanic blasts to kill him. I mean, that's a remote possibility. I mean, obviously, it happened. He's, he's drawn one. He's been building up cards in his hand. Like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's certainly something you have to think about. Even if he, I mean, John, I actually think that if there's a mistake, it's that flashing back to Lingering Souls was the mistake. Because he can, he can go, he has to negate the first galvanic blast. But if he negates the first Vegal Van Plus, he can Snapcaster and negate right. and stay alive. Like, that's the that's the main um, uh, error, if, if an error was made. Because I, mean, I'm, I, also, I also felt like, you know, he knows that there's a certain amount of burn in Kibler's hand. Like, I felt like when he, there's a turn, a couple turns earlier, when he, when he Snapcasts back the Celestial Purge. Yeah. Like, I feel like he should just trade with the wolf right there. I mean, this is the way I look at it. There's, there's some notion of objectivity in the universe. You know, I, I believe in it a lot less than I than I once did. I think as a the very forthright feeling high schooler or like early twenty year old ish person, I had a strong sense of the objectivity of the universe, and I've lost that uh, to a large degree. Hello. Hello. Yeah. I'm here. Are you not there? Yeah. I, I lost you for a second. Oh, well, I'm hearing it. Anyway, so there's a, some sort of objective notion of how, how the universe might work. And then there's the narrative, right? And I kind of learned in, like, the last few years and working on Daily MTG and, and you know, knowing you and working with you and and how, in, in large part, certain or a smaller number of people craft the narrative for any community. And our, our community is 
ultimately pretty tight-knit, despite the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of participants to it. Um, John not blocking the wolf makes for a good story, right? That's something the kids will talk about forever. John didn't block the wolf. But if you honestly look at the games that were played by both players, John played a brilliant match for five games, and he made maybe a sum total of .75 turns of questionable Magic the Gathering. Kibler made a circus show of mistakes, and the top of his deck, like, he didn't attack before the double whip flare? He just randomly top-decked the whip flare? I mean, like, I I love Kibler, don't get me wrong. If it were anybody else in that seat across from across from Kibler, I, I mean, I was over Jordan Kibler one anyway, you know? Like, I love Kibler. But, you know, people like to talk about this, like, ooh, John didn't block. Kibler made a lot of mistakes, you know, and he, he would be the first person to admit the top of his deck saved him. He made a lot of mistakes. Paulo Mulligan to five in the finals in the same game that Kibler had the fourth turn primeval titan draw on the play. Now, obviously, Kibler outplayed Paulo because Paulo had had the had serve and serve in that matchup is insane you know especially in a in a game where nobody draws beast within serve is almost unbeatable so the fact that kibler outplayed paulo to have serve in game five obviously you know kibler did something real good there no question about it but he had a god draw against a mulligan to five or was it a mulligan to it doesn't matter paulo mulligan and kibler had a god draw and Paulo didn't have either a turn four Titan, which would not even have gotten him there, right? Because Kibler would have still had a backup on turn seven, or whatever turn, whatever the virtual turn is, because Primeval Titan accelerates him to seven mana. Um, whatever turn that is, Kibler still has a backup, even if Paulo has a back has a turn four Titan back. Paulo didn't have uh, Beast Within, so you know Fortune wanted the Dragon Master to win that tournament. As far as as far as you can chalk it up to luck. I mean, would you disagree? I mean, you were standing right there. You saw what happened in real time, right? Sure. I mean, you saw the whip flare. I, I, I knew I knew John was probably going to lose the game when Kibler drew, like, the second Galvanic Blast. I looked at the board. I'm like, Kibler's going to hold up for for, uh, for Galvanic Blast on four. He's going to chip away at John. John hadn't drawn the negate yet, I think. You know, he's like, he's just going to get there, and he's going to be able to pay for Monolink. That's, that's what I thought was going to happen in the game. I didn't think John's plays mattered that much. Uh, it happened in a really dramatic fashion because John didn't block, you know? But I think that there were a lot of different roads that would have gotten in the same spot. When he drew the third Galmanic Plus, it was just a certainty in my mind that it was going to happen. Like, Kibler would have had to really screw up um, right. for, so, that, for that not to have if, happened. If he doesn't flash back Lingering Souls, does he have enough mana? To- he has enough mana to... If he negates the first Galmanic Blast and Kibler says okay, Kibler still has to say okay. Right. Then John can win with the Snapcaster Mage, but if Kibler just goes in response, deal eight to you, like, right, right. then <laughs> then John's still dead. Like it didn't matter that much. Like I mean, yeah. In hindsight, there are like probably three or four things we can say, knowing what Kibler's draws were going to be, what John should have done in order to preserve one turn's worth of life total. You know, which might have been enough. Right, right. You know, but to me, the thing I would have—I, I, I, and again, it's just my 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 line of plays are obviously going to be very different than John's. Just be looking at our records and drafts in his house, <laughs> and you could see that we were going to have very different lines of play. You know, probably 
you know, 20 percentage points better than me and match win or something. Do you, do you remember we were playtesting one night for Pro Tour uh, Ravnica block? Uh, constructed, and you made a new deck, and I was playing, like, some mid-range black-white. I was probably the deck that I ended up playing at the Pro Tour. I think I 10-0'd you. And I'm like, look, this is, your deck is terrible. This is a terrible matchup. Stop playing. And John was like, actually, I think BDM's deck is pretty cool. And I'm like, shut up, John. I just 10-0'd him. And then John played me, like, four or five games, and he won all of them. It was, like, the yeah. exact same deck. Do you remember? I don't, what was like? It was, like, a... Is it Cronarch deck or something? Some sort of, like... Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was like a five-color Chronarch deck or something. I don't remember. Um, it, was, it was not good. I, I remember, all I remember was this is the deck that I was going to play on the Pro Tour, and then Johnson was like janktacular red blue deck with all two twos for three and five and destroyed me with it. Like you do. Uh, you know, I got I got a good and shuffled form. That's what it was. Um. I got it nicely randomized. I don't know if I don't know if this is probably still true because there's been a lot of years of Finkel draft without me really being an active participant. You know, Wait, Finkel draft's founded in around 2006, right? Yeah, whatever. Whenever Ravnica, Yeah, so I haven't played actively there. In like, I've I've logged at least one match a year, but uh, <laughs> like I literally go a year between sessions. Um, and despite hanging out with John a fair amount, uh, I haven't done a lot of Finkel draft. The the uh, I think there was a time when I probably I had probably beaten John in casual games of Magic more than anyone else in the world, um, and I, I, that's probably not true anymore because there's been so many Finkel draft matches um, since I haven't been playing a lot. Which is not to say that John hadn't beat me much more, just that like I played a lot with John, and the especially intensely playing um, playtest constructed games. And I don't think a lot of people have had the opportunity to playtest constructed with John in a in a structured format, but. I would say that there are a lot of games that I took deliberately, strategically different lines than John would have. He would later tell me it was terrible, but that I had won the game. And if I had, if I had like done what John would have done, I might not have won the game. Like there was a game where I was playing against John. I had a Ten Street Hooligan in my opening hand. John had Mulligan to six, and he was on the draw. And uh, I didn't play my Ten Street Hooligan on the second turn. And as we said earlier, John's main thing he likes to do in life is to t- shave a turn off of his opponent. John played a second turn, some sort of off-color signet, like you do. And then I 10-street hooligan him on the third turn. He's like, did you really not play your two-drop on the second turn so you could 10-street hooligan me on the third turn? I'm like, yeah, you mulligan to six, and I don't think you're going to make your third land drop. And I was right. Um, and you know, I took him apart. He's like, it's still awful. And I'm like, I don't know. I think I had the read there. I'm, I'm a much more conservative strategic player than John is. I think almost everybody is a more conservative strategic player than John is. Um, so, I mean, Patrick's pretty reckless, um, in the same way that John is. Uh, you know, kind of a measured reckless, like, they win a lot of games by one point of, of life, which is a, a powerful skill to have that I think most players don't have. Um, but most players are not as aggressive as Patrick and John are. Um, and I, I think that a player with a more conservative mindset would have had a better chance of winning that last game against Kibler. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually right. right. A, a more conservative mindset is block the wolf. It, it, but it's not just block the wolf. I mean, like you might have put, like I might have put four lingering souls tokens in front of the wolf three turns earlier. You know, like, I might have attacked with one guy and left four tokens back. Like blocked with four. I mean, I'm not talking about blocking with two. I know that he's got removal points in his hand, right? Right, right. I'm like four are in front of him. If you really want this wolf to live, you're spending two cards out of your hand, and nobody would have made that trade. But if you think the wolf's that good, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's not, not. Not, not the point. 
you know, no, like I said before, it's just the narrative, right? The narrative that people are interested in is that John Finkel, greatest player of all time, didn't block the wolf. And I would have, you know? Sure. I mean, did yeah. those people watch the match against Estrati? You, what, did you commentate the Swiss match against Estrati where John locks himself top eight? Estrati badly outdraws John. In game two, Estrati keeps an unkeepable hand with three Gitaxian probes and gets there because he has three probes. Right. You know, like he, like this hit, like he can't even cast a single card in his hand except for he has like one land that's a planes. I think he can't cast any of his cards, but he has three Gitaxian probes, and then the probes get him up to three land on the third turn, and he destroys John because his hand's like all spells. Estrati right, right. completely outdraws John every single game, and John destroys Estrati. And like he had to play so well, like he like he holds for it, and he uses like his Drog Skull Captain like an overrun. In a spot where he knows Estrada can't stop him. Right. Like, and, you know, like, there's so many, most Magic players are just tempted to cast their spells because they have mana to do so. And Finkel has, like, what, two mana leaks in his whole deck and he never casts them anyway. He, like, right. sides them out. Like, and, like, John just sits there laying lands and doing nothing, turn after turn after turn. Or he does some crazy-ass thing that most people have never considered doing. And, you know, either one of those spots... You know, most players would not have done the crazy the crazy sequence of things that John would have done. You know, they wouldn't even have won that match to be in top eight. You know, Estrade would have beaten 95% of players on the planet. And they would not be playing in the situation where they get to not block the wolf I, against, I, against I, Kepler. I'm so sick of that Estrade. Like, I, I did him such a disservice in the booth. Like, he he actually just leveled Tom Martell. Tom he leveled him. And it's like... I'm in the booth with, with Sheldon, who we've never worked together really before in this booth, and I'm, like, trying to do feeds, and I'm looking at, like, camera shots of the players and not looking at the tabletop, and I can't communicate with the spotter, and we just have no idea what happened. Like, you you can see it on screen, probably, but, like, we're just looking at that different camera feed, and it's like, all I'm like, is, like, did, did Tom Martell just, did he just take Martell to one? Yeah, I just thought Martell was at one at the end of that play. And then it's like we get the camera sorted out, and I'm like. Brian? Like, by, by Martell's own admission later, you know, because Martell was sort of a, a sour, it was pretty sour at the time that it happened. But, you know, I thought Mark, I thought Astrani was bad, but he just, he just leveled it. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm sick about it, right? Like, it's, 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 it's obviously just a great pro tour moment that got lost. That was lost? Yeah, it's just lost. Like, I mean, it happened, right? Everyone knows it happened. We've talked about it. I mean, is it like the $16,000 lightning helix? I mean, like... it's, 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 <laughs> no, it's not, it's not, because it, it's not in that, it doesn't have that gravity of being in the top eight. People are still giving me beats. They're like, why did you say you should have shot the, the knight, you know? It seemed to me like that was his best play. <laughs> like I didn't do the math, you know. Like I and you know, Randy's like, no, I think he has to try to go for this. I was trying, I was trying to imagine myself in Craig's spot at how you can win a legitimate game instead of you know, because in reality, your opponent is not supposed to throw away cards and throw away Jitty advantage when he's a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame player. But you know, Ollie did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. It, it was completely remote to me that anyone could lose to a top deck three point burn spell and a char with an active jitty in play. Like, <laughs> like, like, how did this happen? No, this this should never happen. He has to kill the guy. Like, nope. Yeah. He apparently doesn't have to kill the guy. Ollie will throw away the advantage. 
All right. <laughs> but part, part of the reason I feel sick about it, it was also later, like, uh, Estrada, I'm pretty sure if you watch that match, Estrada tried bluffing John to some extent, and John just had none of it, right? John was just kind of like, no, that's that's not going to work. We're I think, just going to play here. I think John's hard to bluff because he'll just run the numbers. Right, right, exactly. And he and I think that's that might be his shortcoming against against Kibler. Like he ran the numbers, and the idea that Kibler was going to win the game was remote to him. You know, like the math didn't say Kibler was going to win this game that way. It's much more likely Kibler gets out of it by one of his, um, you know, mathematically more likely top decks than one of. I mean, at that point, you know, one of two remaining Galvanic blasts. It, the one play that I would have differed on significantly with John was in, I think, the game that Kibler beat him with the double whip flare when he waited to go Drug Soul Captain plus Phantasmal Image. I would have just imaged his Titan much earlier. Okay. And um, the thing is that it's possible that you lose the Titan, right? Uh, the, the right. Like, you know, Kibler can kill the Titan because the Phantasmal Image is pretty easy to kill. But... I don't think at the time he had a lot of loose change to deal with the Titan. Sure. But um, if John does that, then he's so far ahead because he just has a he just has a like tons of mana and um, and all of his Moreland haunts in play that I think that he could just he just clouds the world with. You know, the, obviously, the only way he loses is if he gets all his creatures killed, right? right. But if he gets all of his creatures killed, then that's just infinite Moreland haunt. And he could just drop Skull Captain and out later. Like, that's the that's the thing. And, like, Double Whiffler doesn't kill a 6-6. Six, six. So I, I don't remember if John had a, had a Geist in that game, but he could just, like, lock down the Titan with Geist and then, you know, go to town with his own Primeval Titan. I, I, I don't remember, but I think he's kind of an ultimate dungeon Geist. Yeah, I, 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 I remember thinking, and I, Lan even put it on Twitter, I think, at the time. He's like, I actually think that that uh that going for uh primeval titan on on uh i'm sorry uh phantasm limb on primeval titan would have been a would have been a different line um you know it's it's certainly tempting you know right. Right. um so um yeah that's, that's something something different or or yeah. hunt master cool. uh, there there are a lot of things he could have done i mean obviously you know he played that same you know what what i would think of as a typical finkel strategy though is like i'm going to win you know, setting up for a big overrun turn, and you know he has to have a crazy combination of cards to even be in the game. And Kibler obliged. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I in fact have this crazy combination of cards. Why, thank you, John. <laughs> Did uh, it was it was amazing to me how much that game five is just shaped by Gataxian probe. What about Matt Costa saying that the, the card that won him the most at that Grand Prix last well, week? That's, that's, well, that's what I was going to lead into, actually. Yeah, like it's been it's been really interesting to me watching like like when he plays Shields. I I haven't I haven't caught up with. Well, who won the Grand Prix? Oh my gosh! I had to. I was in the airport when the Grand Prix finals was going on. I don't know who won. Matt Costa beat Dave Shields. I you know I'm a huge Shields fan. I love Shields. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, but, uh, you know, we joked during the, the top eight of Honolulu, right? You know, it was like John was, like, joking. He referred to himself as, like, the ghost of Magic Past. Yeah. And uh, Costa as the ghost of pre- Magic Future and, like, nodded over at PV as the ghost of Magic Present, obviously. You know? And, uh, you know, it's kind of amazing to watch Costa, you know, as he's just torn up. He's platinum now. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's got like forty odd points. What's is he have a uh, three top eights and four events? That's his run right now, right? Uh, GPs? GPs and PTs. Uh, yeah, it might be. I'm not I think sure. it's three top eights and four events. It's crazy. He's got three, yeah, he's got three career GP top eights, and he's got, also has, like, apparently a ninth at, at GP level. Like, he's, he's just really good. Um. I was really impressed with him, uh, you know, every, every time I, I've gotten a chance to, to watch him and talk to him. You know, he's a, he's a, a player of a similar mold to a PV, I think, where, um, they don't try to do anything fancy, like, but they play a very adept strategy at a at a high level. But I think that's a mistake that a lot of amateur players try to do. I, I don't think an amateur player should should take that same route. Typically, I think you have to get your points somewhere else. Yeah. You know, like you can't expect to perform with uh, unflashy strategies at the same level as. Uh, a Brian Kibler or a, or a LSV or a PV. I mean, even Brian Kibler and and uh, Conley Woods don't do that on typical basis. You know, they typically they typically go for more uh, flamboyancy. Well, no, I mean they're they're at, they're at such an information advantage over the rest of the field. Like just the ability for those guys to actually all come together and have this like this like. I was talking about this with someone I don't remember, but it's like, we've not seen a team perform this optimally for such an extended period of time. Ever. There was never a team like Channel but, Fireball. But I'm going to say, every time there's been, like, I mean, there's been, like, glimpses of, like, amazing teams, right? But, like, they always have bogged down with some sort of soap opera or some sort of leak or they got too big, right? You know, like, they've been so good at, like, keeping the team tight. I, I actually... And, like, I, I take a different a different position. I think that this most recent Pro Tour proves that the model is replicable. You take more talented... Don't get me wrong. Luis Scott Vargas is probably the best player in the world on any given day right now. Um, you know, PV Elite, Brad Elite, Conley very, very close to that top level. Kibler at that top level. Got a lot of good players. But you can just take another beach house put it next to theirs, and put it at players that are just as good or better than them, and they will also produce multiple top eight players in the same tournament. I mean, that was a, a proven fact, right? Well, I mean, that's what, that's what John those guys just did, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, the, the model is replicable. Like, the, 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 CF, the thing is, what a lot of people don't get is, like, Owen, who was, you know, awfully good year last year, right? Um... Owen was elevated to that level by association with the team. They took a player who was performing pretty well at GP level and elevated him to the kind of player that you talk about on the short list. Yeah? Sure. Okay. What happens when you start out with players who are already Hall of Fame caliber players and you put them together and you just do the channel fireball thing? And what if you do it like three or four pro tours in a row? What's going to happen then? Right. I mean, I, I think... I I think that the conclusions are pretty obvious. And uh, what's interesting is that there's there's two divergences that I see. Number one, the draft strategies that came out of the two beach houses were divergent, but also successfully divergent, right? Um, like Finkel says that like he still likes spider spawning because there are no cards for it in pack one, so no one will go for it. So the cards are the cards in packs two and three remain, <laughs> you know. Versus the channel fireball strategy is. Shut up with your stupid synergy decks, you know. 
straightforward draft strategies for this Pro Tour. Both teams produced successful results in Limited. But where the problems ended up on both teams, and you even have a story like Sam Black coming back, was it 03 to start? Yeah. To finish in top 16, is that right? Or top 32 at least, right? Top 32, yeah. The divergences, the non-successes on that team were the players who got who got crafty. They broke the format, <laughs> and then other players were like, oh, well, it looks like we broke the format, but I'm going to go do this anyway. Right. What if you take those same players, same talent level, but they play Dungeon Geists instead of whatever they played? What happens then? I mean, do we, do you see a World Championships level top eight where four guys with the same deck are, are all in the top eight? That might have happened. I, I mean, I fervently believe that the, the Dungeon Geist deck was the best deck yeah. in the tournament. It was. It's better than, I mean... Like, let's call a spade a spade. You know, they won the tournament. They weren't playing in the finals, but they were playing the deck that beat them at Worlds, right? That was just Ianaga's right. deck, down to the Galvanic Blasts, <laughs> the number of Birds of Paradise. I mean, like, oh, we couldn't beat him last time. Let's join him. Like, they had the cleverer version. Conley literally clevered it up to win the previous Grand Prix. They're like, nope, this is the guy that beat us. We're playing that deck, Huntmaster of the Fells. Like, <laughs> TRF. No, I mean, that's true. When, I, when we talked to LZ about it, he said, uh, uh, LZ said, like, yeah, you know, I, my, my dream was to come to the event, play Ianaga round one, <laughs> have him be playing Tempered Steel, <laughs> right, and destroy him. Then in round two, play against Apollo. <laughs> but Apollo's in the 01 bracket in, LS, in LSB's fantasy. They're number two guys in the 01 bracket. Got it. Right, right. And, oh no, and, then, and then he's like, and then in 03, he plays against Conley. <laughs> and then Matt Nass in 04, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. I mean, they, they certainly, I mean, they, they definitely tightened that deck up. I mean, the Huntmaster was, was so... The Huntmaster was, was unavailable to you and I. I mean... We had this discussion. Is this in the apocryphal podcast that never went up? We talked about what's deck of the year. And then, you know, like you guys are like, obvious deck of the year is Cobblade. And I took the alternate spot where I'm like, yeah, obviously, obvious deck is Cobblade. Greatest standard deck of all time. Got to give the nod to Cobblade and to Channel Fireball. But I just wanted to make the point that I thought in terms of deck positioning, you can't get a lot better than Ianaga. I thought his deck at Worlds was absolutely oh, phenomenal, yeah. like A+. Um, pick a deck for, I mean, Cobblade is in a different category, right? Like, it's the greatest standard deck of all time. Uh, at the tournament that it was played in, it was pretty special. But what makes it so special is that most pretty special decks cease to be special in the metagames afterwards, whereas Cobblade seemed to get better and better and more and more tunable towards the mirror. However, you have a deck like Ianaga just so perfect. He mopped up that that top eight like it was, you know, somebody spilled gravy in the cafeteria. Like... It was it, it was just obvious he was going to win. He had all the right tools. His deck was perfectly tuned. Um, and, you know, I, you got to figure that a guy like that can put a deck together like that would have figured out to play Huntmaster of the Fells. Like, I don't give... I, I, I've given Channel Fireball a lot of credit for a lot of stuff over the years. I don't think that Huntmaster of the Fells is, is so unusual, given the, the shell that they started with. Sure, sure. Uh, what, uh, what did you think of the, the modern decks from the previous week's Grand Prix. Um, I mean, like, mostly Bronson Magnus. So, it's actually funny. Um, I haven't talked to him since, I, you know, I went to uh, Honolulu in the ensuing week. But I was actually having a conversation with Tom Ma over Twitter about playing uh, Life from the Loam strategy with 
seismic assault. And we were talking about what the pros and cons of that were. I'm like, and the, the deck that I would have ended up with probably would have been a bit different than Bronson's because oh, we were thinking about, you know, do you remember um, Patrick Chapin had that Shredder deck a few years ago with uh, Shred Memory? I was thinking about maybe Shred Memory for uh, some bullets there, but, you know, it could very easily have ended up at that kind of aggro loan place. But it was literally the, the, the cards we were talking about, you know, Four Life from the Loam, and Seismic Assault is the finisher rather than, uh, what's the one that you like? Burning Vengeance? And yeah. we were talking about, you know, what's what are the pros and cons of Burning Vengeance versus Seismic Assault there? Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I jibe. I, I had forgotten how devastating a fast Countryside Crusher can be. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, we, we were talking about in the office today, it's like picturing just repositioning that deck as a Burning Vengeance deck somehow. But why is Burning Vengeance better than Seismic Assault? Seismic Assault is so much more flexible. Sure, right, right, because you got to get your flame jab on. Uh, it was just, <coughs> I, you know, I guess it was just an exercise in talking the, the thing that was interesting was it gave you a different way to deal other than life. And when we were thinking, we were talking about the idea that, and, and again, this is such an extreme situation that it's not necessarily a real thing. But it's kind of interesting to talk about, right? So a situation where you have Secrets of the Dead, which is the you know, the card people call Learning Vengeance. Yeah, the, the blue Burning Vengeance. The blue version, a Burning Vengeance, right? And uh, no cards in hand and a flame jab in your yard, right? You untap, uh, you dredge Dakmore Salvage, right? Instead of drawing. Draw your deck more salvage, flame jab your opponent, draw a card for the flame jab, and instead dredge... Dredge the deck more salvage. Yeah, yeah. You're going to run out of mana eventually. Yeah, but for every mana you get to do three damage. I mean, you're also going to run out of cards eventually, just, you know... Uh, I mean, I thought that the use of flame jab was pretty clever. Uh, that was a card that I hadn't had on my short list to play, certainly in modern, but it seems, at least for that week, awesomely positioned. You look at, like... All the Snapcaster Mages, Vendillion Clicks, Signal Pests. I mean, like, I, it seemed like the room was just lining itself up to make Bronson Magnum look like a genius, and they were successful. Right, right, right. Um, you know, that said, you know, nothing against him. You know, like, I, I think that, again, uh, his deck choice in, is very praiseworthy, a very similar idea that some good players have been talking about themselves. But, you know, I would have loved to see an Andrew Cuneo win or an LSV win. Right. Uh, obviously, obviously, Cuneo and, uh, and LSV were, 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 the, were, the, were the clear emotional favorites. I mean, I think Cuneo is just like... I Actually, I'll say it. I think he's the best man who ever played competitive Magic. But he's... I don't know a lot of players who lay down in an elimination match because they they are afraid that they would have gotten an advantage because of a miscommunication with their opponent. Kuner is the only person I know who ever did that. Most players be like, you know, your opponent screwed up. He should have been paying better attention. Kill him, right? Sure. Cuneo lays down instead, wins wins the tournament anyway. What? Cuneo called the judge on himself multiple times. Like, he really, he really actually struggles with playing physical magic at this point. Like, not, not, not struggles. Like, he just... He just has... He's not epileptic, he's so, yeah, Gators. He's so, he's so used to magic online, like, guiding him through things, that he'll just, you know, 
he just has some operational uh, difficulty sometimes playing the game optimally. And as you know, and if he and if he does something screwed up, he's he's called a judge on himself. He's you know, he's I mean he's he totally uh, you know he's totally owned it. It's just it's just kind of interesting that I, I mean as I, well as he's done, he thinks he's playing terrible magic. I mean I think he's just. I've always thought this, though. You know, he's just made of different stuff. I learned a lot of stuff from him when we were young, you know, much younger. You know, I, I met Andrew when I was 19 years old, I think. God, I'm old. Andrew's even older than I am, so. He's not as old as you, but. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're old compared to most of the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm old compared to multiple combinations of people listening to this podcast. So. Um. I mean, that's assuming this podcast goes up, so we don't know. How are we, how, me recording this podcast was a mistake. I, I don't know how to get it off the internet. Like, I told Steve, Steve's like, how do, I can't FTP it. I'm like, why do you have to FTP it? Why don't you just put the file onto the, onto the website? Oh, I could probably do that. I don't remember my password. But my this, guess is we could probably also just send it to MTGcast, and they'll just post it there, and then we could post a link to it on top of it. Oh, man, you're so smart. I thought about that the other day. Why don't you do that to the last one that we lost? Oh, because then I, I don't know where it is. How can you not? It's on the How many files do you have on your iPad? Like, files. I have, I have, I have a lot. BS. I, call, call. I have tons of videos. You can't organize files on an iPad. They go wherever, wherever Steve Jobs decided videos go, that's where they go. There's no file management. Like, if I draw a picture, that's where it is. I don't get to put it into a folder. It's in pictures. I click pictures, my picture is there. I click audio files, my audio files are there. There's no picking. Like, there's no file management. You go into your audio files, look at the date that we casted and the email that, and it's a one-click. Click, email it to Otwell. All right. I'll see. <laughs> it's, to Otwell. It's, it's, uh, it's Eric McCormick, MTG Cast. All right. I, I, I mean, can you even email a file that big? Yeah. Yeah, you just use it over uh You can also Dropbox it. I'll Dropbox. Oh, my Dropbox is full of stuff right now. So what do you uh, what do you think about the, the top eight from this past weekend? Did you look at any of those decks? Oh, the standard top eight? Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, I feel so bad for Eric Meng. So... Eric Meng played in his first pro tour in Honolulu, right? He finishes 26th. They only give return invites out 25. To, to 25. Did he just and like, is it? He top, he top eight to GP <laughs> in Baltimore, and he loses to Matt Costa in the quarterfinals. So he still doesn't have an invite? So they only give invites out to top four. I mean, but surely he has enough planeswalker points between those two events that he should be fine, right? No! Did you read my article about the planeswalker points? No. So my conclusion is people who qualify by planeswalker points are, they're not much worse than PTQ players. We only have one tournament to determine it, but PTQ players and certainly planeswalker points invites and Grand Prix invites, those guys as a group, are substantially worse than ratings invites. Like, ratings invites players are about four times better than the PTQ players in terms of performance over time. They're way better. Um, But, like, Planeswalker points... So, Planeswalker points players replacing ratings players is a a vast downgrade. Like, 
they're about, literally a quarter as good as a ratings invite player. But um, uh, Hall of Fame players are insane. <laughs> FYI, Hall of Fame players are like eight times as good as a PT player. PT players are good. <laughs> PT players have like expected value over a thousand dollars. Like just showing up on PT points has an expected value of over a thousand dollars. The Hall of Famer. Hall of Famers were, were deep in the top of Honolulu. Yeah, I mean, the expected value of Hall of Famers in Honolulu is obviously screwed up because a Hall of Famer won. But the the average the average earnings was about $8,000. So, yeah. it's ridiculous. What do, you think, what do you think about the, uh, the decks from the event? Oh, from the Baltimore event? Yeah. There was lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, you know, so tell me about the zombie decks. Are, are the zombie decks like? Is that like the next level spirits? Like it's basically a spirits model, but with grave. I mean, there was some, someone was playing it there. I mean, there's there's uh, you know, you, you get to do all sorts of uh, morbid stuff, right? Like the Skier's deck, High Priest, and Mortipod. I, I think that's a really. I, I was surprised the one that made top eight only had two, right? Two two priests. Yeah, LSB yeah. said he's like the secret best two drop in black. It, it seems it seems really powerful. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it's just an interesting deck. I mean, you also you also have fume spitters. Um, you get to do a lot a lot of a lot of interesting stuff with it. It, it seems good. I think it seems like it could be inevitable. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if the deck doesn't want uh, um, Liliana. Liliana Tragic Slip is so good. Like that combination of two cards. Yeah, I mean you have two very good cards. But 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 they, 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 the idea that Liliana turns on your tragic slip morbidity. How many planeswalkers do we have that it's right to not use them sometimes? Hello, Brian? Hello. Brian. All right, I'm flipping between windows looking for Brian. Where is my Skype? Hello, Skype. Are you... Hello? Hey. Hey, did you drop off? I did. I think I never stopped recording, so it'll be like that time that I went to the bathroom and we uh, go, you just kept playing or whatever. Are you re- you're recording on the recording app or are you recording on the... On Skype. I can record on Skype? I don't know. It keeps saying that I'm recording. But yeah, I'm, I'm using the recording app. Oh, and that's better. That's easy. To, if you have a wireless thing, you can easily Dropbox that. Um, yeah, I use the same recording app that you do. The one with the yeah, big yeah. gray microphone. Yeah, that never misses. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it's funny if we like, spent an hour doing this, and then like I look at my files, and it's just like, doodle, doodle, doodle. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were talking about. Standard? Yeah, we were just talking about the next. I, I, we were talking about so what, what's up with, like, why is black-blue control good again? Like, wasn't that, like, the deck I liked, and I'm like, oh, I give up on it, and then, like, now it's just the nuts? Uh, you know, I guess, uh, I mean, Curse of Death Sold is so good. Yeah, I liked that card a long time ago. Like, yeah. But, I mean, it was, I guess, I guess it's just good. It, you know, I'm not really sure I fully understand what makes it, you know, 
so many. I guess it's because it's just got so many sweepers to deal with the the blue black lock, and then they have everyone has access to um, corrosive gale. Oh, corrosive gale, freebie. Yeah. But there's like nary, there was like nary a primeval titan to be seen in the top eight, right? No, no, no. It was. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It was blue black control, red green aggro. Yeah, Jackie Lee, right? Yeah, Jackie Lee. Blue Redux of a deck that did well at the Pro Tour. Yeah, blue white Del, blue blue black control by Max Teets. Uh, Humans by Adam Snook. Blue black zombies by Matt Scott, which is uh, the deck we were talking about. Uh, the reanimator deck that Raph innovated. Yeah, I like that deck a lot. Is there a way to make it without all the little green creatures? Because I'm not allowed to play green. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is. And then blue-black control again. Uh, I mean, I, I've been playing around with this deck where I just have, uh, you know, I mean, I, he only has, well, I guess he has eight titans. I, I was playing, I mean, four titans and four Elish Norns. I was playing it with, uh, I was playing the four-color version with Primeval and Frost Titan and Spider Spawning. That's a completely different deck. That's the deck we were talking about months ago. Yeah, it's not that different, though. I mean, it, it does a lot of the same thing. It doesn't cast... It doesn't cast Faithless Looting Unburial Rites. Right, but it can certainly do those cards. Work. Well, Unburial Rites was available, but... But we didn't play them. <laughs> yeah, but now you have, access, you have access to new cards. I think the deck's still very good. Like just just being able to stick turn three or turn four Titans is just so you know brutal. I, I love Frost Titan so much. I know like you people do. Just, people just never have the mana or the ability to deal with it appropriately. I mean, do you remember uh, that feature match at Worlds last year where uh, Williams was playing the blue green Genesis Wave deck and his opponent pinged the Frost Titan with a. Uh, uh, Cunning Spark Mage with um, Basil's Collar. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. didn't have the mana. Yeah. And he's like, Dave was like, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, what did I just do? And then Dave locked it down with his Prostite after that. Then he lost yeah. the match anyway. So he only went 4 2, day one. Yeah. Oh, what What? Oh, my Facebook's doing some weird, weird thing. That's just Facebook, Brian. That's how it works. Oh, man. They changed the interface again. <laughs> what? You mean like you have Facebook on the right-hand side? They've been doing that for a while. Or now when you click somebody's profile, it's like their web page. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Facebook, you just tell me to like buzz off on this topic. I'm actually... I've been really, really interested in something for the past few weeks, and I, I don't know if I can... I'm very good at articulating how I... I feel passionately about it, though. And I think it relates to this pastimes playmat and a lot of the, a lot of like the, right. the scuttle that's just, gone just, around just, there. Just be aware. Yeah. Somewhere Christopher Walken, and I'm not going to do the impersonation, but is, you know, from Dead Zone is yelling, the ice is going to break. You're on thin ice. Automatically, you've said the words playmat. You know, there might be a hundred posts on your Facebook wall already because you said the word playmat. Your Twitter's going to blow up. Just, just don't talk about the playmat. So you're saying I get more attention by talking about the playmat? Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. taken the wrong tack by uh, <laughs> by invoking the walk-in on this one. I mean, I thought I thought you were going to say that a, a beautiful young actress was going to be drowned and I was going to be implicated in it, or, you know, perhaps I might give up a promising career as a tap dancer. 
uh, most of the most of the people listening to this don't understand what I just said. I'm sure you understand what I said. Though. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. So, I was your was your whole position like you didn't get it, like you didn't get what all the all the excitement was about. I, I didn't get the idea that people thought that this was something that you know you would want to hand out for your business. <laughs> you know, to like families of small children coming to your event and, you know, some women who are like, oh, my boyfriend's really into magic. Let me come and hang out with him and maybe I'll actually play in this sealed deck tournament or whatever There were it is, right? a couple things wrong with it, I thought. One, I didn't think it was particularly classy or well executed. Yes. I think that's one of the things that, that I have a problem with. I mean, like, it'd be one thing if, do you remember there was that Altoids, um, Altoids ad, like, ten years ago? Of a woman in the devil suit. No. You don't remember this? Um, alright, never mind. There are classier, better executed ways of doing something like this. And this wasn't one of them. Um, I agree with you that I think that... I mean, and I, I look at things from a much more logistical standpoint, I think. You basically have four levers that you can pull as a, as a marketer or a seller of something, right? One of them is, how do I attract new customers? Exactly. You that's know, you so that's the thing, right? Like does this attract new... Probably doesn't attract new customers. For a successful Grand Prix, you, you're, you're everyone who's going to go to the Grand Prix, do you know what I mean? Who's just Everyone who's just going to go, that's your base, right? Whatever that base number is. You know, the people who will travel however many hundreds of miles to get there in a car packed to the, you know, packed to the trunk with people and binders and, you know what I mean? Those people are just going no matter what. Where you make your money is in getting some of those new people in the door. Well, the other thing is there's also upsells slash retention type activities that you can do, right? The Pro Tour, Grand Prix in general are upsell slash retention type activities for a company like Wizards of the Coast. Right. Um, there's the product. You know, the product's not going to get a lot better. The product in this case is a Grand Prix, right? You know, people pretty much know what a Grand Prix is. And then there's, you know, how do you convert... You know, what activities can you do that, that convert more customers versus not? I, I think that on most... On most levers you can pull, this particular implementation is probably a net negative. So... From my perspective, what makes it bad is that it's probably a net negative. And I would actually agree, though, it's hard to put this num- in, into a, any kind of a, a positive, discussable spin. It, it, I, I just don't think it was well executed, well done, or in good taste. That's the, that's the position I'm in. Now, now here's the part where I'm on thin ice. That said, I don't necessarily think there's anything morally wrong with... Uh, Maybe this is it, or stuff, you know, that other people seem to think. Like, I don't think there's anything morally wrong with a picture of Liliana. Other people seem to think there is. No, 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 it's not a matter of morally. I mean, I don't even know. I, I, I think that people think there's objective, morally wrong Liliana. In, in general, I would say, from my, uh, where I stand on the, uh, you know, like someone who has created intellectual property and has some uh, opinions about like how you speak to your customers I, I probably find that the art in magic is probably you know a little 
more sexualized than I would want it to be if I was in charge, right? Who's in charge? Is Matt in charge? A bunch of different people are in charge. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even laying, I'm not laying, you know, I'm just saying personally. I'm not, I'm not blaming. I'm saying, like, if I was there, I'd probably, like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I think the Liliana t-shirt is probably What's not, your, not great. What's your opinion on Earthbind? I mean, Earth, my opinion on Earthbind is that it's a 20-year-old card. It's one of my favorite art. Sure. <laughs> I love sure. Earthbind. Yeah. Would you bring your daughter to an event where that was going to be the, you know, competitor t-shirt? I I would, I wouldn't care about that. I I I would be a little, I would be much queasier about the thing with the playmat. But my daughter is, she is like so level headed. Like it's it's, it's hard to I, I reconcile who her dad is. I I I was hanging out with her last week and I was like, you know, I mean, this is gonna sound real sappy, but um, some parents will get this and other people will like moon and and like you know you're. You're just the better version of me, and I just see so much, so much that she'll do better than I with her life than than I did. Not that my life's over, but you know, I often feel like it took me thirty some years to get re- anywhere the rudder correctly pointed on my life, and right. and Bella's already just so much better than I am. On took me years to get to, and she said, "No, Dad, I'm a girl," and that's the. That's the way I look at it, like, I don't, maybe you take a different position of this, but I don't think you probably do. I I don't think of girls really as something to be protected or fawned over in a particular way. I think that there are girls who are, girls, women, I don't mean to diminutize adult women, but, like, there are female human beings who are every bit as capable as men in many things, and then are not as capable at men and other things, just there are men who are not capable at those same things. Like, it doesn't matter how much I try. I could try real hard. I'm never going to be an NBA player. I'm physically incapable. There's no reason to pretend that I would ever be phys- – I'm not tall enough to be an NBA player, no matter how hard I tried. You know, like, so I think that it's silly for us to pretend that women would be as good at certain things that they're just not going to be as good at. As long as we can say, but look, they can be as good or better at some of these other things. We should celebrate those things. I think the things that are bad about the way society is run is, like, girls think they're auto-bad at math. But girls are bad at math because they're taught they're bad at math from a young age. My daughter is superb at math. She cares. Like, she does math in her spare time, you know. She studies stuff like chess. And I, that, that, those are the things that, that I think make her very capable regardless of it's. I would almost have, like, despite her gender. It's not despite her gender. It's like, it's, like, perpendicular to her gender, the things that she's interested in or good at. Um, so I, I think that, like, she would look at that playmat and be like, I don't understand this. I, I think that would be more... She, I, She's just like... I, I think she would just move on and ignore it. You know, like, she's a... She really likes superheroes, but she doesn't have any sort of... Um, uh, biased towards female superheroes or anything. She's she like likes whichever ones seem coolest, you know, not sure. not like, oh, I like to, I have to be I have to be Black Canary because she's a girl, you know, like she likes right. she likes Batman way more than she likes Batgirl, you know, like Right, right. That that's how she is. But she'll like whichever like you know my favorite Young Justice is Aqualad. I think he's all do you watch Young Justice? I don't. Um it 
I'm actually just going to go out and say this. I think it's might be the best cartoon of all time. It's did you watch Disney's Gargoyles like ten years ago, fifteen years ago? I watched Gargoyles. Yeah. So it's it's Greg Weissman, um, okay. who was the creator of of Gargoyles, but basically Greg Weissman with no leash, an amazing art art team, and as far as I can tell, unlimited freedom of using beloved characters however he likes. Nice. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. It's good. I mean, like, is it on Netflix? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you could probably steal episodes off YouTube. Like, just on YouTube, they have lots of them. Um, uh, it's on... And then it's, they they have, like, at least ten episodes at a time on... D- you have DBR, right? Time Warner Cable or whatever? Sure. Yeah, you could just go and look at Kids on Demand. There's easily ten episodes at a time, and it's so good. Like, there's, like, long-term character development. Um, there's a mole, and we're almost at the end of the first season. We don't know who the villain is, which is crazy. Like, you literally don't know who the bad guy is. Um, and, uh, the interpretation of the characters is phenomenal. And I thought it was going to suck because, like, who cares about Kid Flash, basically? But, um, all the Justice League characters that, like, you think of as the iconic DC characters are in the show, but they're just, they don't take that active of a role. Except for Batman, who's just kind of like their asshole uncle. Um, but it, it's it, it's so because like Captain Marvel's on like the grown up team, but he's you know he's like Billy Batson's a kid, so he always wants to hang out with the the young team. And they, they're not called like Young Justice or Teen Titans or anything. The name of the show is Young Justice. They're just like this Black Ops team, and they don't have a name. They just like they like so basically what happens is the Justice League goes does something in a loud way, and then the kid team goes and breaks the law in another country. That's basically what happens every episode. And it's, uh, it's really cool. It's like Dick Grayson Robin, but he acts like Tim Drake. It's like Wally West, Kid Flash, acts kind of like Bart Allen. Zatanna is a kid for some reason, even though she's supposed to be like age contemporary to Bruce, not age contemporary to Dick, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, but Zatanna is a kid. But the reason they made Zatanna a kid is so they have Zatara on the adult team. It's interesting. I've never seen Zatara used as like an active character. Like any comics I've read, it really pretty much Zatara's dead. Um, no, I mean Zatara. Well, he died in Swamp Thing, right? Um, did he? Is Alan yeah, Moore Swamp Thing? He's in the. Uh, I think it's. I don't remember the. I think it might be in the American Gothic thing where like Baron Winter and the Night Force get together and Zatanna and Zatara get together. They do. They're doing some sort of ritual, and I think Zatara just like blows a circuit. <laughs> he just. You know, something just gets them. So, I mean, like, and the scale of the villains is power. I mean, like, the stuff that they, they're they willing to let the kids do is crazy. Like, um, I'll, I'll, it's... I'll snap. I'll just watch it. It's so good. So, like, um, yeah, so it's like a... It, it, it's like the ages are weird because obviously Dick is too old, if you think about it, in comic age. Uh, and, like... I, I I guess Barry is the they haven't really have like a main Flash that much because like I to me Wally West is the Flash that's the Flash that I know really is a is a contemporary comic reader that's changed now like they've made Barry the Flash again um, I, I think of even Jay Garrick is more of my Flash than than Barry Allen but you know Wally's kid Flash on the show uh, and then they have this new Aqualad who's like just the coolest character ever. Like, the, the design on him is fantastic. His origin is fantastic. He's, like, so cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, he's the leader of the team. And he's the leader because, like, 
Robin considers himself too young to be the leader of the team. So, like, Aqualad's just the leader. He's like, until, whenever you want to be the leader, you're the leader. But for now, I'll be the leader. Because Robin, Robin just thinks of himself as too young. Because, uh, like, I guess they assume that Batman's apprentice should be the leader of their team. And he's just, he's awesome. And they have a character called Artemis, who's, like, basically uh, Green Arrow's protege. I had to look her up. Like, she's not any character, actually, in the DC Comics. But she's based on a character in the DC Comics. And I won't spoil it for you. Because, like, literal, um, I don't know, I won't. I won't spoil it. It's too good. It's too good. How does this all tie into our play in the head? Oh. So, when I, was, when I was thinking is, like, from, like, a sexism or whatever feminism standpoint, like, I just, I just think that a lot of the rhetoric that's going around in the magic community, and maybe I, maybe it's just I'm too jacked into Twitter and not jacked into reality enough. Like, what people talk about is so useless. It doesn't drive us anywhere. It's just people yelling at each other. Who do, oh, sure. And I don't think they want to... Like, I tried to have a conversation with someone who's pretty well known in the community, and I was like, look, you're not going to get anywhere with anybody if whenever someone voices their opinion, the only thing that you can say is how privileged they are. And, you know, like, I would guess that even if there are positions of privilege that I've enjoyed in my, over the course of my life at different times, which I'm sure that I have, I've probably dealt with more prejudice-type issues in an intimate way, I would guess, than the average American uh, Caucasian woman. Like, I walked into my first-grade class in western Pennsylvania, in the Appalachians of western Pennsylvania, with no backpack, but instead a wicker briefcase. I mean, like, that's how jacked into reality my parents were when I was five, you know? And, right. you know, I, I was the only yellow person in the town. It, it's not, you know, like, I think that the way I've had to deal with stuff in an intimate way is, is probably more magnified than not everyone, certainly, but then the average person who seems to be up in arms about stuff. And the way I look at it is, you know, where we go and who we are isn't where we're from, you know. It, obviously things that affect you, but those are, you know, everyone has a different history, but that doesn't determine who you are. You, you make your own choices in life for the most part. Look at yourself, you know. There are a lot of, there are a lot of spots that you could have made a different decision, but... You know, instead, you've built lots of successful enterprises and, you know, in such an admirable way, you know, and there are lots of spots that you can be like, nah, this is where I'm going to complain and give up. But you didn't. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, yeah, oh yeah. Of all the friends I have, you have a lot of spots where you could have run the give up, give ups. But instead, you're on your umpteenth successful business. Like, it's like, it's, this is... It's the give, give ups, take a job at a big PR firm and hate my life. Whatever it is. No, seriously, whatever it is, you know, like I can't go to school. Instead, I'm going to go invent men in black. I mean, like it's it, other people are like, oh, man, I, I was dealt such a bad hand. You know, like, shut up. BDM got dealt a worse hand than you. <laughs> like you, you can play out of your hand. And I think that the people they just sit around and like talk about how bad their hand is. Like 
It's it's actually yeah. exactly the same as magic, you know? Like, oh, I lost to Manuscrew. You didn't lose to Manuscrew. You lost to an... Right. You lost to an unwillingness to mulligan your bad hand. Like... Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm always... One of the things that always amazes me when you see a controversy like this is, you know, people take a position... Right, they some people, you know, can can have a reasonable debate, you know, about well, you know, I don't want to go down the road of censorship or but other people are just like you know, they just take this position of you know, they're just like, No, I want my, you know, I want my Goblin King fanfic uh, you know, playmat right now. You know, I want it, I deserve it. I don't find anything offensive with it, you know, you know, bitches on the rag can go screw themselves. You know what I mean? Like like you know, despite my like despite my deep desire to not be associated with bitches that can go screw themselves, <laughs> despite not being on that team, what I tried to do is because I like I said before, I don't think that the playmat was well executed in good taste or a net positive from a marketing standpoint. You know, it doesn't win on any vectors for me. Right. Okay, but that's not the for yeah. me. It's I'm also not in an issue of moral turmoil over it. So what I try really hard to do is see what the other side is saying, okay? And, like, well, what are the things that are bothering you? Like, I first saw this when Megan said that she didn't want to go to the Grand Prix as much. Right. Because she saw this, and I thought to myself, you know what? If Megan's saying that, who's, like, this huge... She is the alpha rail bird of Magic the Gathering. Right. If she's saying that as a woman, that's what made me think about how bad this might have might have been from a marketing standpoint. Right. So I'm like, you know what? This is really not good. I agree with this sentiment, and I can agree with that sentiment of it being a bad piece of marketing in all likelihood, but yet not being something that makes me, you know, makes my blood boil. However, yeah. some people's blood is boiling and blog posts are written. And the, the, what I don't understand is I, I try to look at the world of, like, here's the world we have today. What is the world that I want to live in? What are the actions I'm going to take to live in the world that I want to live in? You know, what does that world look like for the people who are who are up in arms over this? Do we not have the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue in that world? Well, probably not. Do we not? I, I, I mean, I like... Imagine, I imagine, I imagine uh, you know, that people who are, you know, pretty militantly feminist about stuff are, are you know, not going to want there to be you know, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues. Do we not? Unless they were, you know, g- you know, gender neutral, right? You know, or, or, or gender equal. I mean, I, maybe this is just because I'm a terrible person. You know, I'm, I'm a, widely acknowledged to be a bad person. But I, I just think about, you know, how do we, how do we communicate with different audiences? How do we sell things? Uh, you know, I tried really. Like, excuse me. I'm here. Hello. I'm you. Oh, sad. Are you, are you really? Brian? I'm going to call Brian again. Brian? Yep. Hey, or you called me back. I was going to call yeah. you back. But I don't know if you're on my friends list. Um, anyway, uh, what I was thinking is... Um, well, let me, let me just make one, one, the point I was making before is exactly what you said. Right? You look at the other side. You want to see how people are reacting. I don't understand the people who, yeah, you know, 
There's some people that you, as a, you're, you're a somewhat casual magic fan, right? You've gone out of your way to friend people on Facebook and follow them on Twitter. And obviously there's some sort of, I don't know, respect for their experience and maybe some of their insight. You know what I mean? Whatever. Whatever, whatever it is that, that, that attracted you to, to, you know, engaging that person in some sort of social network, right? And you see this array of people who you have that respect for sort of say, eh, you know what, this is kind of distasteful or this is, you know, or this is not something I would, I would like to see at my business or, you know, whatever. Like, do you, I just don't understand that when you just go from, from zero to, well, you're, you're a fascist asshole who wants to censor, you know, my pornography. I, this is what I don't get. I don't get when somebody voices what in my mind is like, you know, even not even an argument, like a reasonable observation that doesn't jibe 100% with what maybe one of the more militant feminist people thinks. And then they're getting expletives thrown at them. I mean, like, to me, like, you don't come to any sort of successful resolution when that's what you do, you know? And I, I don't, I don't understand. Actually, I do understand. I just think this is a very badly executed strategy if anyone is trying to change the world in a positive sense towards their own political agenda. Because this is a case where I see, like, in order to win a negotiation, you need to have leverage. And the the party with no leverage is running around throwing mud at the party in power. Or at least that's how they're framing it. They're not going to win. They're just going to sit there whining and crying for the rest of their lives. Who wants to live that life? That's a thing, you know? Like, like, that's how I look at it. You know, like, people ask me a lot about... How my daughter would look at, I, my daughter just I think is above this you know she's just like look I work really hard at the things that I want to be good at and it doesn't matter that I'm a girl you know I'm better at boys than some stuff I'm worse at, than boys at other stuff and you know I just try to enjoy myself like she's like uh, you know we were in Hawaii last week and she's like oh I would like to learn surfing but I'm not interested in being a surf champion that was her sentence right. you know, she's like she's like I'm not really interested in being a surf champion but I would like to learn surfing when I'm older you know, so, you know, because I think that she looks at a lot of things as automatically competitive because, you know, she started karate when she was young and her teachers like trying to, her teacher's a world champion. He was on the Colbert Report. And he's like always trying to get her to like, no, Bella, by the time you're 16, you should be an instructor, you know, like blah, 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 like trying to get her to fight other kids in, in tournaments. And, you know, she started on chess tournaments when she was five. And I think she's like tries to divide things in terms of what she wants to be competitive in versus just explore from funsies and um you know i to me i don't think a lot of stuff has to be fighting and political like i i don't i don't think i would like the world as and again you know despite having a deep personal professional etc respect for many women you know, I, is our world better if we don't have strip clubs you know is it better if we don't have the sports illustrated swimsuit issue is that a better world i, I don't I don't know. I mean, didn't the terrorists win if that's the world we live in? I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think it's a matter of uh, it's a better world. I think you just I think that people are just looking for some sort of, you know, even footing. You know, in a world where, where uh, I, I, I'm fine with it's, even it's, footing. It's, it's, it's a complex social issue that I'm not prepared to uh, dive into 
The thing is, like, I'm fine with even footing, but the rhetoric that I'm reading on Facebook and Twitter doesn't sound too even to me. Like, that's, that's, that's what, that's what, when I say, like, I'm trying to see what other people want in their, in their universe, that's the whole point of what I'm saying, you know, like, uh, you know, people talk about how, how characters are depicted in comic books or other media, that's, like, an obvious thing to me, and then, yeah, the worst is, like, this cartoon about how the Hulk is a male power fantasy, you know, despite being bare-chested and stuff. I mean, how bad of a misreading of the Hulk is that? The Hulk is the most helpless character in the history of comic books. Right. You're talking about, like, a genius who loses all control of himself. And he's an animal. Like, that's not... It's a very bad misreading, if uh, if that's what what your main argument is uh, against sexism and depiction. Of, I mean, I, b- believe me, I'm not going to take the argument that there is no sexism <laughs> in the depiction of comedy. It's, it's comical how bad the depiction is. Right. <laughs> Just saying the Hulk is a poor counterexample. Yeah, um, the Hulk is probably not my go-to argument there. I mean, like, you know, it's a good thing that Catwoman and Harley Quinn are great gymnasts because their backs bend in... <laughs> In difficult arcs, <laughs> on a typical basis. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I gotta head home. All right. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? What do we do? How many long? How long is this? I don't know. It's probably like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So leave a comments if you ever get to listen to this about how you liked it. I, I think I my sense in this cast is that we didn't have as good of chemistry as we usually do. Yeah. I mean, we dropped off three times, among other sure. things. Sure, sure. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's different when we're sitting there in the same room and, you know, reacted to stuff. And I mean, you were looking up top eight decks while I was sitting in... No, I had, it, I had it open in front of me because I was looking at the coverage. I, I, there's no way that we can confirm or deny this. All I know is if I'd been in the room with you, I would have been able to hit the X in the corner. You have to take my word. I'm doing an interview with Matt Costa for my my column this week. Yeah, so, so he's, I was I was doing some prep work when you called. Geist of Magic's future, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. First pick, right. first pack. Who do you take in the next Pro Tour draft? But, you know, I said, you know, you got to take LSV first pick. And the one time I said that in writing, both Paulo and John so vastly out for... And I've always taken John as, like, you know, the the, hey, look, the emotional would, first pick. And John, would, when, we, when we had John on air, he would not commit to going to Barcelona. Otherwise, I would just first pick John at this point. Um, so, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed our first Me and BDM Skype cast. Uh, that's yeah. it. <laughs> Ooh, now it's just me. Now I have to find the right window so I can turn this off. I'm sure listeners at home are fascinated. Ooh, recorder, stop. Bye. Thanks for listening.